Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to the very first Arscast Extra of 2015. Happy New Year to you, James. Happy New Year to you. Do you have a good one? Yes. Well, there we go. (laughs) There's no point reliving past glories, though. No, indeed, none of that. Yeah. Just just get on with it. Uh, Bring on the future. <laughs> 2015, from a football point of view, didn't necessarily get off to the best start, but we'll. I think we'll come back to that game, will we, the Southampton game? Okay. Um, and we can start with, with yesterday in mm. the... In the FA Cup and against Hull, and there was worry, I guess, after what happened against Southampton, and worry that you know Hull would be out for revenge after what happened in the final. But Steve Bruce made a lot of changes to his side, um, which was quite good because the changes that we made to our side didn't seem to affect us um, as badly as they might have. No, I think they made ten, didn't they? And and you did wonder going into the game with them being quite so heavily in the relegation mire, how much of a priority this would be for them and uh, I I think they'll be disappointed with their performance really you know even with the players they had they didn't really put us under any sustained pressure did they no I mean a lot of the ball in the second half which um, was it was a little bit worrying because it didn't seem as if we were able to to do anything about it for maybe 15 minutes they they passed it around quite nicely now they didn't do an awful lot with it but at the same time you're looking for us to be a bit more you know, um, proactive. Yes, maybe. exactly. But I thought, you know, first half in particular was a good performance from us, and and maybe the fact that we did have so many changes in the team just added a, a little bit of freshness to the performance. 
Yeah, I guess so. And there's a kind of free song that you get when people are trying to make an impression and, you know, win a place in the side potentially. And there was a few out there doing that. I thought it was an interesting team we picked. And I thought there was quite a lot of positives, really, all through the side. And so I think Arsene Wenger will be very satisfied. I mean, job done as far as he's concerned. Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of those games, though, wasn't it? It's a job done. We've, you know, we've just got to get this one won. Mm. And let's not worry too much about how it's done. I mean, I think there, you're right, there were some positives. But uh, at the same time, you wouldn't want to go overboard. As you said last week, it's it's hard to think that we've turned any kind of a corner, um, particularly as we tend to be, you know, a bit up and down. But, um, OK, so let's let's touch on some of the things that, that happened. Um, Alexis. Uh, the manager yeah. said beforehand that, you know, he gave him the chance to, to rest if he wanted to have a rest, and the player said, nah, I want to play. Um, it must be hugely difficult as a manager to to try and leave him out because he has such a, an impact on the team in, in the way that they play, and obviously he's got end product, which, which um, a lot of the players around him don't seem to have at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I thought he would get a rest over this Christmas period. I thought it might come against QPR when it didn't come then. I thought it might come against Hull. But he's just, he's played every game. And you have to say, he hasn't shown any great signs of fatigue. He's still been the Alexis that we've known all season long. And the stories that you hear from the training ground about the level of intensity he puts into every single session, you know, people try and tell him to take it easy and he just won't listen. The guy's clearly keen to play himself, feels he can. And as Arsene Wenger said after the game yesterday, you know, when people are in that kind of rich vein of form, you do feel, you do understand the temptation to make the most of it. Mm. Um, however, I can't be alone in worrying that it's all going to go horribly wrong <laughs> at some point. Well, I mean, that's a, a, a certain amount of fatalism there, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, it's because of how important he is to the team. And what happens to our players traditionally as well, I suppose. Well, yeah, that that too. But, I mean, there are other players who play week in, week out, every game, almost every minute for their clubs. And, you know, we, we don't necessarily you know, pay a great deal of attention to that. But I think you're right. The, the injury situation at Arsenal just makes us assume that at some point he's going to pick up an injury. But there's a, a certain amount of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because if you don't play Alexis and we don't get a result, you're why are you not playing your best player? And if you do play him and you still get a result, there are people going, well, you know, you've got to rest him at some point. So it's, it's hard to find the balance, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you, you can easily say, yes, we, we should rest him, but when and how? That's the question. Well, that's a great point. And I think it was made particularly difficult for Arsene Wenger by the absence of uh, Giroud and Welbeck, which I don't think he, he would have anticipated necessarily at this period. Yeah. You know, he lost Giroud to that silly suspension and then and not for Welbeck. So in some ways, his hand was slightly forced. The other thing is that when Alexis inevitably does pick up an injury, and such would it's not a serious one, it, you know, people will point to him not being rested, but he might just get a kick on the knee. You know, it could be anything. It could be random. It could be nothing to do with the number of games he's played. Of course, yeah. Um so it is one of those sort of difficult to, to weigh up things. But, I, I mean, the, the form he's in, he doesn't show any great sign of tiring. And I think, you know, if Arsenal have got the results. Would they have got them without him? We'll never know. But the way he's carried the team this season, you do feel that in some ways playing him 
might be something of a necessity. Mm. The first time that we've seen Alexis and Theo Walcott in the side together, um, the views on Theo's performance pretty mixed. Mm. Um, he, he got a big round of applause, but I wasn't sure that um, he, he played that well, to be honest with you. And he's that kind of a player, I think, that when he's not fit and when he's not 100%, uh, and even when he is 100%, sometimes that you know there are there are lots of flaws to Theo's game, and they become very apparent when he's when he's off the pace. We saw that yesterday that um, a couple of touches were just wrong, you know, and that comes down to rustiness as well. I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting that he should be firing on all cylinders uh, in his first start back after after 12 months, mm. but I don't know. I mean. He's he's an odd sort of a player, isn't he? There was there was some really nice movement in the final third, which is something that we've been missing a bit because Alexis we know likes to drop deep, uh, and for us then to try and get men in behind the defence is difficult. And some of Theo's runs were, were very good. I think Coquelin found him in the second half. There was one in the first half where he made a run. Coquelin nearly found him again. So that part of the game was good, but the rest of it a bit iffy. And, Maybe, and, yeah. and then, you know, are we being hypercritical because it's his first game back after 12 months? I think that the flaws in Theo Walcott's game that we saw yesterday, have they not kind of always been there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, is there not a slight case of, if there's anyone surprised at that, is it that thing where people, someone's out for injury and they slightly improve during their absence um, and then they come back and you remember, oh yeah, no, they do do that. <laughs> and And I think that, there's a touch of that with Theo, you know, I think technically he's never really been quite at the level of some of our other players in terms of his ability on the ball. Um, I think what he brings, as you say, is his movement off it. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of players who are capable of playing good through balls. Coquelin, you mentioned, I thought Santi Cazorla did that very, very well yesterday. Thomas Rosicki. And what Theo Walker has is real speed best utilised to be honest when he hasn't got the ball at his feet running in behind and he didn't have the finishing touch yesterday but I think that finishing so related to confidence and confidence is something he can only really get by playing more games you know riding more tackles and scoring a couple of goals and I I Mm. think that'll come I thought on the whole personally I thought it was encouraging I think he'll, he'll be a great option for us and bring something a little bit different to to what we already have so also, potentially, I think for a defence facing both the speed of him and Alexis is a, an absolute nightmare. Mm. He's not, uh, let's say, particularly inclined defensively. Theo no, I would say I would say not at all. I'd say that's a, a big hole in his game. Do certainly. you think moving off very slightly onto another contentious enough issue? that went down this week. Do you think that the decision to let Lucas Podolski go on loan was informed by Arsene Wenger's desire to get Theo Walcott back into the team, right, to make space for him because uh, Alexis has been playing from the right with, with Giroud or Welbeck in, in the centre or, you know, uh, he's been doing that quite a lot. So Walcott's position is is on the right-hand side. Mm. Um, do you think there was an element of not just what happened uh, with, with Podolski and his own frustration, but the desire to create space in the squad for Walcott. And also, given that Podolski's defensive work was not his best quality, 
an admission that he can't really keep two of those players in the squad? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think that, you know, that inevitably people will ask about Podolsky and say, why now? And I think that, rightly or wrongly, the explanation is probably that the player pushed for the move. Uh, if you look at how quickly it's happened, the fact that Arsene talked about his frustration after the game yesterday, the player's sense of frustration at not playing games, I think that there was pressure, certainly, from the playing side for him to go. Um, as for whether or not Walcott is the reason, I'm not sure. I mean, in, in some ways, I think Danny Welbeck killed Podolsky's Arsenal career, simply because he can play centre-forward in a way that Podolsky can't, and he's ended up playing left wing which is the position Podolsky would most likely be in where he's getting games. Mm. Um, so I think Welbeck's arrival, his versatility, the fact that he wasn't a pure centre-forward, is probably the thing that's really pushed Podolsky out the door. Mm. I, I think the thing on Walcott's interesting, because I know, it's jumping slightly ahead to questions, but I was talking on Twitter last night to at Jordan Harper, and he was saying, implying really that Walcott sort of gets away with more than Podolsky would in terms of his defensive effort. You know, Podolsky was so heavily criticised for not tracking back, but does Walcott really offer anything more? Do you think there's something something in that? I think there's a certain element of clean-cut, blue-eyed boy to Theo, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what colour his eyes are, but, you know, just saying sure. that as, as a thing. You know, I think he does because he... I don't think you can have watched Theo Walcott over the last uh, however many years he's been at Arsenal, eight years now, something uh, like almost, that, yeah. something like that, uh, and not see that there are big deficiencies in his game. But the weird thing about Walcott is that he can be having an absolute stinker and get you a goal and get you another goal, and he provides, or was the only one in, in the squad for a while who could provide that outlet uh, of pace that we needed. He's mm. not the only player who can do that now. So there's probably a bit more pressure on him to to deliver. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think he's he's a popular guy. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's not an offensive character or a really divisive character in terms of his personality or, or, or anything like that. So yeah, I mean, I think there's an element of favourite players. I think we're all guilty of that individually and also collectively of, of letting favourite players away with things that people who are under the microscope, for example, just aren't allowed any kind of mistake whatsoever. That there's mm. forgiveness for some, but not for others. And that, you know, sometimes the tide turns against a player and, and that's it. There's no way back. We've seen that in the past. That hasn't happened with Theo because maybe the, the, the problems that he has aren't not as damaging, let's say, as, as if it was a defender that, that had the flaws to his game. Uh, an attacker that fluffs his lines might cost you uh, a goal-scoring chance, but a defender that does that might cost you a goal, or a goalkeeper, for example, will cost you a goal. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think it's early days to draw any conclusions as to as to Theo and his performance from yesterday. But, you know, um, Andrew Allen was pointing out to me that um, an interview that he did with Arsenal.com before the game and his quote was I'm not expecting too much from these games early on it'll be blowing the cobwebs away and it'll be good to be out playing with my mates again because I've missed it all <laughs> I mean that's not maybe like that's from that's, one of his books yeah exactly TJ and the, TJ and the big match or yeah, yeah TJ and the I'm back from injury we'll see TJ what happens 
and the anterior ligament cruciate injury. Yeah. yeah, but you know, it's not like I'm I'm dying to get back. I'm determined to get out there and you know uh, make a real impact. You know, there's a there's a very difference in personality between, um, let's say, him and Alexis. Uh, yeah. You know, and that maybe that's an unfair comparison as well. But I think perhaps that quote sums up Theo. He's quite vanilla, a bit. What's the word I'm looking for? Magnolia. You know. Yeah. He's not yeah. bright and colourful. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. I mean, I thought there were some encouraging signs, um, but you know, he's got to he's got to really start making a, an impact now. He's been out for 12 months, and uh, you know, his his comeback was. When? About two months ago, though. October? Yeah, October. You know, he was back and made a couple of substitute appearances and then picked up that groin injury, so he's been out again. So, you know, as as uh, there was a time where, where his skills were unique at Arsenal. You know, his pace was unique and um, his, his finishing um, perhaps was... Uh, you know, in around the box. So that ability to get you a goal out of nothing, there weren't too many players in the squad who could do that, but we've got other players now who can do that. So he's not necessarily as protected a species as he was. Well, it's an interesting time, of course, because I think, what are we, 18 months from the the end of his contract? Yeah. Negotiations are due, really, aren't they? They certainly are. Um, Let's just go back very briefly to the Podolsky thing. Uh, Timing a bit odd, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it's hard to escape the conclusion that he really, really pushed for the move. I I know there was the, the story in the mirror uh, by John Cross, uh, which said he stormed out of training. And then, of course, Podolsky responded on Instagram um, to shoot that down. Um, but I don't know... I've been wondering if there's a bit... If there is something to that. Yeah, there. I mean, I have to, because, you know, John, uh, whether you uh, like what he does or doesn't, is pretty well connected yeah. uh, within the club. Um, you might question whether the information was given to him in good faith, perhaps. Could it be a Machiavellian thing where somebody gave him some information to, to cushion the blow of his departure from an Arsenal point of view, that if people thought he had been kicking up? But I think it's been obvious that he, he wants to go uh, for a long time. He's Every single interlull he's been saying, well, I'm not happy about not playing. We'll see what happens in January. You know, and, and that... That's happened consistently, well, three, four times this season. So yeah. I imagine be- behind the scenes, um, he's been he's been pushing for a move himself. Yeah, there was a moment in one of the press conferences recently where Arsene Wenger, someone put it to him, you know, of course, uh, Lucas Brodowski would be keen to explore the possibility of this Inter Milan move. And he sort of puffed and sighed and said, of course, mm. in a way that said to me, tell me about it, it's been a nightmare. <laughs> um I mean, you know, you'd have to be careful inferring too much, but my my strong sense, and also the, this this you know the talk of a knock, but now he's been you know Inter Milan is saying that he's ready to train with them straight away. It's clear that there were things going on in, in the background. Mm. I think, but I mean, we you know that's just the way it goes. Standard practice, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, you can be sure that if we want to sign a player from a club this January, <laughs> sorry, I just you know I just want to have a little laugh at that. But if that was the case. If that was the case, the player in question would, at his own club, probably do much the same as Podolsky did to to move away from Arsenal. Of course, of you course. So, it's just it's unfortunately it's just the way it works. Now. Yeah, yeah. So look, I mean, he's clever enough to have left in a way that has uh, uh, left him endeared 
to uh, to to the vast majority because he seemed like a, a really nice guy who could really hit a ball very hard, very very hard. Yeah, and I see he's straight away he set about endearing himself with the Inter Milan fans as well. He turned up nearly in full kit, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> all, all the all the accessories. Yeah, he knows. Um, yeah, he knows how to play the game. Definitely, he's on, definitely on like, a bit media. like a bit like Theo actually. To be honest, in that respect, he's <laughs> a very good public image. But um, what uh, are you worried about it? Do you think it will cost us at all? I don't know. Uh, that might be a question. I think we might have that for after the break, so oh, okay. we'll we'll hang on to that one. Um, let's touch very briefly on what happened on New Year's Day, Southampton. Yeah. Um, disappointing performance, punctuated by mistakes. And it was the mistakes that that cost us really. That rather than you can look at that team and say that's that's not the best looking Arsenal team I've ever seen in my life. But individual errors more than uh, anything else were were what cost us. And that was that, that's been a, a long difficult habit for us to get out of. Yeah, because this was of course the famous first choice back five for the first time this season. I think we saw the, the first choice defence and Wojciech Szczesny together. But as you say. Individual errors. The goalkeeper, of course, came under a lot of scrutiny, but I think Lauren Koscielny had a very difficult day as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I sort of came away wondering, was it kind of a game too far? You know, was this a squad that had too stretched, basically suffering from a, a very intense Christmas period and a difficult fixture? Was this one that we just didn't have in us? I don't know. It was, yeah. it was a, I, felt like, I felt like we were slightly on our last legs in that particular match and it that that fatigue may have led directly to those mistakes. Yeah, I'm not sure how fatigued a goalkeeper can be though. Fair point, yeah. You know, Koscielny, uh, you know, he was good against, uh, was it West Ham? He, he played? played against West Ham, yeah. Played against West Ham, he was good, but you, do, you wonder then, uh, given that he was on the bench yesterday, whether or not he's really ready to be playing. Certainly so, with, with that kind of regularity. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Chesney, yeah, I mean, I think that was that's a good point. Obviously, you know, people talk about the mental strain, but I think that's not really a valid point. I think uh, the errors that he made were strange, particularly the second one. You know, you almost wonder if he doesn't make the first one, does he make the second one? Is that kind of born out of that panic and yeah. that need to atone for an error? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say, as as dodgy as uh, Chesney was for the first goal, I thought Koscielny was just as dodgy yeah me too he really really shouldn't have uh, moved away from the player Um, so there you know it was a a collective load of old bollocks really Mm. in that one All right. well look what we're going to do is take a short break uh, and then we'll come back with some questions in part two Welcome back to this week's Arscast Extra. As always, this is the time where we answer your questions. Send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog using the hashtag Arscast Extra. First question today, James, comes from um, Matt Cowdock. Okay. And he says, despite not having much to do yesterday, would either of you start Ospina on Saturday? Ah, okay. I'd thought this probably would would crop up, obviously, in the light of Chesney's Southampton performance. I think Spina is probably the only person who's a bit annoyed that Hull didn't offer more um, because he barely had a thing to do, did he, against them? Mm. 
he probably would have liked the opportunity to make a couple of, you know... Uh, showy saves. Showy saves, yeah, which we know he's got in the locker from the World Cup. I personally would stick with Chesney, and there's a few reasons. The main one is, obviously, that it's Stoke, and for a player who's not hugely experienced in English football, and who's barely six foot as well, it's worth mentioning, uh, I think that would be a a difficult game to throw him in if it you know if they, it goes their way a bit and they get a few set pieces I think potentially that could incur some risk and I think that Wojciech Szczesny it's important to remember as poor as he was at Southampton he was excellent at West Ham uh, and showed a real ability to deal with those kinds of aerial balls so I would I would be keen to reintroduce him I think you know just have taking the time out of missing the FA Cup game might have done something for his concentration levels and uh, Spina didn't do anything wrong so that will have you know created a, a little bit of pressure but I, I can't see that he did enough to necessarily take up the spot in the long term what about you? Yeah I need to see more of Ospina before I'd be confident about throwing him in against uh, against Stoke and I think what, what we'll probably see from Stoke are similar tactics to West Ham in that they will get the ball uh, forward into the box with crosses, set pieces. And I think Chesney was really decisive against West Ham, uh, set the tone for his performance early on by coming. And I think perhaps his, some of the, um, maybe goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is that maybe Chesney's personality doesn't allow him to get away with, with certain things. Uh, people, rightly or wrongly, think he's a, a cocky kind of a guy mm-hmm. I think he's uh, obviously got a lot of self-confidence but I think that rubs some people up the wrong way so that when he makes a mistake it's it's highlighted I think people have forgotten very quickly what a good goalkeeper he was last season uh, that he's still only 24 years of age that a lot of work has gone into him to make him uh, the Arsenal number one he's played I don't know how many games. He's had some stinkers, but then lots of young goalkeepers do. Now, I get that there are concerns about his development, that you'd really like to see him kick on this season uh, and become uh, a dominant keeper, perhaps, uh, like De Gea is. They're more or less the same age, and people are looking at De Gea and going, well, he's fantastic, and Chesney isn't isn't going anywhere. But I'm not yet convinced by Ospina either. No, um, I'm not, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, you know, he seems like a decent goalkeeper and a, a good signing, but I, I wouldn't have confidence that he's the number one in waiting, necessarily. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if he gets a run of games and and, uh, and performs very well, then we can say, OK, well, let's give him a go. But as it as it stands, I think people just want to see a change because it's it's somebody different, that there's always this idea that the guy waiting is better than the guy who's not performing in the team. I think we've seen that perhaps with a couple of the forward players and we might touch on touch on that a little bit. There, were, there have been stories um, around Twitter last night, apparently John Jensen uh, saying on Danish TV that there was a bit of an incident after the Southampton game and Chesney was given a fine and um, I, obviously we can't um, we can't corroborate those kind of stories but apparently it comes from John Jensen being mates with Steve Bold. Now, right, yeah. now, I mean, just throwing this out there, from time to time, you know, uh, you might hear something mm-hmm. from uh, somebody associated with the club, for example. I might hear something 
But you don't then, if it's your friend telling you this, go on national television and let it slip. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Do you? That's a bit weird. It would be irresponsible, certainly. Um, That font of information might then dry up. Unless this was all part of a Machiavellian PR plan from Steve Bold to get to get (laughs) Chesney discredited. Yeah. I don't know. He's ringing all the Johns. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what... What would motivate that? I mean, just to give him a kind of a public dressing down, so that I don't know. I think it would be a strange. It would be a strange source to choose. Mm. You know, John Jensen to, to release that particular bomb. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, there may, may well be something in this. I suspect that if there is, it's probably more minor than some of the inflated stories might suggest. Yeah, and also something that probably happens more frequently than people might imagine you of know course. someone has a strop in the dressing room and gets a bit of a telling off yeah i think after the southampton game it wasn't us mega asked about voice at chesney and said i don't want to talk about him today you oh know, did he yeah yeah i think so right which suggests that you know there may have been some irritation there about something or other it'll be interesting to see if more comes out on this on the subjects of chesney's character I, I do think he is quite a cocky guy but I think, is that not integral to being a good goalkeeper to a certain extent? You know, you look at Jens Lehmann and he was, for my to my mind, a very good goalkeeper and his batshit mantle, you know, and thought he was 
pretty much the bee's knees. Even David Seaman, you know, seems like quite a gentle character, but let's not forget he signed his name safe hands and wrote in his book that he was better than Schmeichel. You know, these are guys who, <clears throat> because of the nature of the position, whereby you're under so much pressure and whereby you will make errors, need a certain robustness to survive, I think. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think um, maybe that old adage about all the best goalkeepers are mental is perhaps a bit wrong, but... You know, I, I never really had any issue with, with Chesney's self-confidence because what you don't want is a goalkeeper who, the minute he makes a mistake, uh, goes into a shell or, or freaks out by it. You know, we saw we saw that perhaps with Manuel Almunia, who was a guy whose self-confidence was close to non-existent, I would say. Mm. You know, that when things went wrong for him, he looked haunted. He looked uh, aghast. Like, he wanted the ground to open up and swallow him. And while you want your goalkeeper to learn from their mistakes, clearly it's not not a case of, oh, well, I made a mistake, fuck it. I think Chesney's more of a guy who's like, okay, I made a mistake, but I'm not going to let that freak me out. That would be my thinking. If you've got that kind of player who's got that kind of, uh, well, mental strength, um, do you need to curb that and coax more out of it by having a particular type of coaching style, maybe? I, I don't know, but I mean, I think you've got to bear in mind that he is still only 24, he's still young. You know, we, we expect these guys to behave like, I don't know, like mature, experienced people. And they're not always fully mature, you know? Um, so perhaps there's a little understanding needed there as well, that maybe when... You know, if you think in, in three or four years' time, Chesney's going to be 28, that's still nothing in the in the life of a goalkeeper. And maybe then you've got a fully mature guy who can look back and go, actually, maybe some of the stuff that I did or the way that I behaved or the way I reacted, you know, in certain situations wasn't great, but look, here I am. Um, so, yeah, I just wonder if it's a, another storm in a teacup tea kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I th- so for me, it'll be back in at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, same, same. And I think that is probably the right, the right call on balance. Um, okay, let's uh, let's talk about another player other than Ospina who had a chance to impress. This is from John Ware, uh, nineteen eighty six, and he asks: After Hull, has Joel Campbell blown his chance, or has he given Mister Wenger something to think about? Good question. I had one as well about whether Campbell was given a chance yesterday or just whether it was lack of options that meant he had to play Um, I think there's been a tendency to overplay the talent of Joel Campbell Mm. based on one or two games Mm. exacerbated by frustration at certain other players or certain results where things haven't gone quite right and he hasn't been given a chance. And, you know, I have to really wonder why, with 15, 20 minutes to go against Southampton, when we're 2-0 down, we need a goal, why was there such reluctance from Arsene Wenger to play him, to throw him on? Because, of what you know, what have you got to lose? Only three points, which you're yeah. losing anyway, so why not give him a go? So I do wonder why the manager has been reluctant. And I think we saw, to a certain extent, some of the reasons why against Hull. Uh, the, the the movement was fantastic. The little give and go with Alexis to, to make that chance. Yeah, that was great. After five minutes. But the finish 
was poor. There was another one that fell to him on the edge of the box. The finish was poor. Like, dragged it well wide. He should have at least hit the target from there. Um, I think some of his... I think he looks vaguely out of his depth at times when we have the ball, that his movement around other players isn't particularly good, but he worked hard, and he really did put in a shift. But, you know, I think overall there's probably a reason why he spent most of the season on the bench. Mm. And I don't know that he he looks like a guy who's going to get you goals. Does he? I mean, he's, if you're really looking for a goal in a game and you're throwing on Joel Campbell, do you feel confident? You know, even if I just said what I said about Southampton, you know, the other option that day was was Chuba Akpom, and he got on for six minutes. So the manager's going to put on a 19-year-old for six minutes rather than give Joel Campbell 15 or 20. I think that tells us maybe uh, how the manager views him. Yeah, I mean, I was convinced, to be honest, that he was headed for an exit in January. I thought uh, Podolsky would go and I thought Campbell would be the other one to go. But it seems that the fact that Podolsky's gone and that Yaya Sonogo looks like he might leave on loan has kind of granted him almost a stay of execution, isn't it? I mean, I I feel like he will be kept around because we need the numbers, but I'm not sure. I can't really foresee a circumstance under which he comes close to being a starter at Arsenal. Yeah. Can you? No. Only a huge injury crisis. Yeah. Like I, I and I and I sort of feel like that's beyond the limit of his potential to be honest with you. I feel like the the best he can hope for is kind of what happened yesterday a, a run out in a cup game or a few minutes off the bench here and there. And so the question of does Joel Campbell have a future at Arsenal I think really comes down to his own personal ambition. If he's happy to play that kind of role in the squad, then we've got a use for those players, I think. You know, that's it's great to have that kind of depth and to have international players, you know, in those positions. But in terms of is he ever going to make the breakthrough and make it in terms of being someone who's on the team sheet week in, week out, I think that is very, very hard to see happening. Yeah. well, I'd say maybe impossible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that 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 leads on to this question from uh, Right Said Arsene uh, at Air Vic Concrete, uh, okay. and he says I'm not against Podolski leaving on loan, uh, and talks of uh, Sonogo going too, but won't that make us a bit short up front? Do you think that with those players going out, with Podolski now at Inter Milan, with with Sonogo uh, probably going somewhere on loan, manager wants him to go somewhere in the Premier League, assuming desperately hoping someone who's seen him play will take him. Yeah. Well, I think that's a bit mean, but you know, um, uh, then of course the the, the fringe element of, of Joel Campbell, um, does that then leave us short up front or, or can we rely on Welbeck, Giroud, Alexis, Walcott coming back and then players like Rosicki and Oxlade-Chamberlain uh, and maybe even Serge Gnabry when he comes back to, to provide a bit of depth in the wide positions? Yeah, and also you've got to bear in mind Mesut Ozil's coming back, so that suggests one of he or Santi Cazorla could be pushed into those wide positions. I think we've got plenty of options. Even losing those two, I think we've probably still got enough. If you think in most games, I think one of Ozil or Cazorla will probably play, end up playing from the left side when we've got everyone available. That leaves you with two from Giroud, Alexis, Walcott, Welbeck, Oxlade Chamberlain, Campbell, Nabry, even potentially Chuba Akpom. Mm. I still think that's enough, personally. Um, 
I'm not overly worried about it. I mean, I'm touching all the available wooden objects in my house because saying this is sure to spark an injury crisis, you know, first they came for the defenders, then they came for the midfielders. <laughs> the strikers are surely next. I did not speak out because I was not a defender, but blah, blah, blah. But I think... Uh, <laughs> I, I I do think there's a horrible sense, you know, Welbeck and Drew have been out over Christmas. But fingers crossed, we should have enough, I think. What do you think? I, I can't see us signing any forwards. No, I don't think he's making room for anyone. No, I, I think the the one he's making room for is Walcott. Yeah. That's that's what I think with the Podolsky loan. I think he's he's looked at Welbeck, who can play left, Alexis, who can play left, and he wants to make room for Walcott on the right-hand side. Do you think Campbell is a factor in his Podolsky thinking? Do you think he's thought, right, I've got to give this guy some games if I'm going to keep him here. In order to do that, I need to shift one out. No, I don't think he I don't think he would think of it like that. I think what he looks at perhaps with Campbell is that, well, Podolsky was a fringe player, basically. And he sits on the bench for the most part and comes on for eight minutes. And Campbell, yeah, he's a, he, he, can, he can do that job on the bench. That's mm. kind of what I think. I don't think the manager has taken into account Podolsky's ability to get you a goal from the bench, to be honest, because he's looking for the players that he's got on the pitch to be able to, to do that. So, um, yeah, that's okay. what I think. Is it your question? No, I just I just kind of shoehorned one in oh, there, okay. you see. Okay, well, let's have a, another one. All right, well, this is, this is a good one. We, we need to do this one. This is from Sean Haynes. Uh, who is at Haynes Sean, confusingly. Mm-hmm. And he says, just like last summer, what are both of your net slash gross predictions for this transfer period? <laughs> for the, uh, for the, for January? Yeah. Right, so a net and a gross. Okay, gross would suggest that we're going to sell somebody. Yeah. I mean, I guess we we got sort of one million and a half, didn't we, for Podolsky? Does that count? I don't think so because it's a loan. We won't. Okay, we won't, we won't uh, count. We those. won't do that. So, can I see us actually selling a player? Um, hmm. Let me just have a look at the squad here while we're doing this. Okay. While you do, I don't. I don't think we will. I can't really see an area where we're so replete with options that we no, can No, I, I agree. Having looked at that, I don't see us selling anyone. No. So... Um, so how much do you think we'll spend? How much do I think we'll spend? This is a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if we will. What? What? Uh, what? Say what? Uh, uh, is that because you're thinking we might do a loan? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's something at least. <laughs> um, but you know, there's you know, there's a, there's a part of me that looks at our squad and says it's fucking blindingly obvious to everybody who's looking at this squad that we need players in mm. January, mm. and we've been saying this since August. Mm. But at if the we, same time, what, yeah. At the same time. I'm I'm going on stuff that's happened in the past and I'm not hugely confident that that we'll buy them because he he just has this thing doesn't he where he won't buy a player simply for the sake of buying a player. Mm. I kind of think my feeling is 
you know, Inter Milan have shown us that if you want to get something done fast, it can be done. Mm-hmm. I think if we knew what we were going to do and, and who we were going to buy, we would have been more active already. There was a story that came out of France. Um, we were linked with a, a Saint-Étienne centre-back whose name escapes me. Loic Perrin. That's this is the one. And the owner, I believe, or chief exec or something of Saint-Étienne, which is a club where Arsene Wenger has good links, actually, because we used to have an, a little academy sort of link with them, Yeah, came out and said... It's not certain that Arsenal will buy. A, it's not even certain that Arsenal will buy a centre back uh, this this window. Let alone Loic Perrin. They have four or five targets that they're waiting to see if one of them becomes available. I find that highly credible. Yes, I too. Despite the fact it's usually like frustrating to the yeah. point where you want to hit your head off the wall. Thankfully, I've got little soundproof um, things on my wall here, so I can. Whack my ah, head off the wall without doing myself much damage. Oh, that's good. I don't, but... Ah! <laughs> Not your beautiful face. My face. My Jimmy Bullard face. I, um, <laughs> I, I find that credible, not only because of the source, but also because of how we operate. You yeah. know? And, and I think we are in a position where we are going to be reactive in the January transfer window, it seems. We, we're not being proactive. We're not like, right, we want... Matt Hummels, let's go and knock on the door and throw money at the problem. We're like, well, let's, as Arsene Wenger says, let's see what comes up. Yeah. And I think that that's a very dangerous strategy. Um, I notice on my Twitter timeline, as we've been talking, Sam Allardyce saying Winston Reid has no future at West Ham. Um, whether that influences anything at all, who knows? But I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think we won't push for anything it'll be a question of if someone who we've got a long-term interest in comes onto the market which is quite a strange thing in itself because you know you can push someone onto the market by bidding the right amount but yeah that's not the way we tend to do things all right so um what's your what's your net and gross then well they'll be the same because like you i don't think anyone be sold for money i think there'll be a couple of loans um, I would say it's not going to be. I'd be surprised if it's more than about six million pounds. I think. Right. I think we might spend that on somebody on a squad player, but it wouldn't blow my mind. I'll go with that as my guess, but it wouldn't blow my mind if there was a deadline day loan signing. <laughs> I'm looking at you, Kim. Um, all right. Well, look, I'm going for nobody nobody going out. And just for shits and giggles, I'm going to go for, for 12 million. Okay. And we're going to spend it on some kind of midfield player, like Sissoko. Yeah, that is the one rumour that I keep hearing that I think I can totally see Arsene Wenger do that. Because we need a centre-half... Yeah, uh, let's buy a kind attacking of attacking midfielder. midfielder. <laughs> yeah, the ghost we, of our Shavin past. Exactly, it feels it feels almost inevitable. Very good player, not remotely what we need, but there you go. Yeah, all right. Um, okay, here's here's one from Finn Ars at Finn underscore Ars. 
Uh, and he wants to know, should Wenger keep Cock as Flamini's stunt slash replacement and prioritise searching a replacement for Arteta? Now, I know we've been we've been accused of being quite down on, on Coquelin. Mm, yeah, we have. But in fairness to him, and I, you know, I think under, under regular circumstances, he would still be on loan at Charlton. But given that the circumstances are not regular and not usual, and we've been... We've been forced into using him. He's been good. We're now forced into praising him. <laughs> I, 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 yes, he's been very good. He's played very well, for Fran- especially for Francis Coquelin. I think he's performed admirably. Arsene described him as the, the positive of the Christmas period. I think that might be slightly overstating it, but he's certainly a positive. And um, here's the thing. As good as he's been... I am loath to celebrate that too much because I feel like it will prove impediment to an upgrade. You know, I feel like if Arsene Wenger decides that Cockland's doing well, that's the checkbook. That sound you can hear is the checkbook <laughs> slamming shut. If you only know. there was some way we could describe an old player coming back and yeah. having an impact on the team. Like right. some kind of new... Novel style. arrival, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> novel acquisition I am yes that is genuinely my worry that's absurd that it's come to that but when a player does well there's part of me that goes oh no but I mean what what, what, what more can you ask for a player given a chance steps up takes it gets stuck in uses the ball pretty well doesn't just point at tackles makes the tackles look I think I think for me he's probably jumped Flamini in the pecking order um which is a big call to make given their rel- relative experience. I think he probably has jumped Flamini. I think he's, he might be a, a better player at present. For me, my only frustration is that I think that there's a, be- a better player still that we need for our team. Um, and just that if we have this number of defensive midfielders, I can't see Arsene adding another one. Not that I was ever confident he would, but I, I, I don't know. I think he's done, he's done very well. I, I wouldn't knock that aspect. So I like that his... He's a good tackler. I think his passing, as you say, is better than he's been given credit for. Um, do you think... What do you think in relation to Flamini? Do you think you might be giving him a run for his money? Yeah, certainly, because I think... Um, I think what he's shown is is all the attributes that Flamini supposedly has mm. and a little bit more. Yeah. You know, that... that uh, he has got stuck in, and he's got a little bit of edge to him. And we saw that that late tackle where he kind of jumped theatrically into, into the air and was maybe and that was a little crazy, bit crazy. I thought it was a little <laughs> bit lucky to get away with that. But I remember, was it against Everton, perhaps Thierry Henry doing something very similar? Yeah, he just yeah. kind of he leaped from miles out. It was almost like a cartoon it was so ludicrous the leap and and that was the one with Coquelin yesterday and I, I have a feeling that if that had been in the Premier League he would have been he would have been sent off I thought yeah. the referee yesterday was was quite lenient actually a couple of times very much so yeah, um, yeah. which in a way was in a way was refreshing rather than every tiny little thing resulting in a yellow card and, and having a, an impact on the game but look I think if you're gonna pick a team um, based on on how well players are playing, you know. I know you have to take experience and and, and everything else into account, but you know, I don't think if Flamini's back, 
that he has done enough this season to suggest he could should come straight back in ahead of Coquelin. And I, I never, I never that. thought I'd be saying that because you know I think I, I'm not even sure that Arsene Wenger thought he would ever be in this position. To be perfectly honest, mm-hmm. so all we can do is um, duff our caps to the cock, and, um, and 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 well done to him. Yeah, he's certainly he's certainly playing well. I think that's probably beyond dispute. Really, mm. um, got time for a quick one? Yeah, quickie, go on. Okay, this is from Atul Bardwaj ninety four, and he asks. Quite a simple question. Would you like to make any comments about the delivery for Permer Saka's goal? Yes. It was unbelievable. Imagine, now, it's hard to get your head around it. Imagine whipping in a ball with pace at a great trajectory Mm. into a dangerous area where the keeper isn't sure whether he can come, where defenders are struggling to get there. Um, More, please. More. It was... It was astonishing to to watch. And, and you know what made it uh, even more frustrating was, remember late on in the first half, we had a, a a free kick just outside the box, right by the byline. Yeah. And we decided to play some kind of terrible short pass and, and ruined it. Having just witnessed what a good delivery into the, bo- into the box can do, that we completely and utterly decided never to do it again throughout the game, that was a bit crazy. Maybe they just knew that that was sort of our one for the season. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, the laws of probability. Let's not bother with corners yeah, you, anymore. You don't score two holes in one in a row. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but no, more of that. And Permatuck was at the far post, not the near post. A yeah. dramatic transformation of our corner tactics into something that worked. Yes. That's Long the way thing. To continue. That is the thing. Uh, okay, I, I have one more question. If, okay. if we want to hang on. Um, and it's not a particularly pleasant one. It comes from Marwen Ben Mustafa. Mm-hmm. He's at Indigo underscore Light. Lovely, lovely Twitter handle. And he says, "Would you rather have Phil Dowd's body and your own face for a year, or Dowd's face for six months?" Um, I'm going to go with Phil Dowd's body because there have been points in the past where I've nearly had it anyway. Uh, you know, 2012 was a dark time, f- full of biscuits. Uh, so I, 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 you've got the, the f- you've got the clothes to fit exactly, genuinely. Like I'm still wearing them, just with like multiple belts. Um, so I'm going to go for Phil Dad's face. I think I'm hardy enough to survive it for his body. Rather, I don't think as much as I, as much as there are inadequacies with my face, I think it's sort of too linked to my identity the, the, the horror of walking down the street and people thinking I was filled out uh, a trimmer filled out is something I, I don't think I could live with mm. what about you? Oh I go for the body as well for sure yeah. because as dumpy and slow as it is and I'm, I'm well on board with the whole slow thing by the mm. way um, you, you could at least change it by, yeah. by exercising by eating well or abuse it I or mean it's you not could yours it's filled it. out you could just get you could get tattoo of uh, you know all kinds of stuff all over the body, and then hand yeah. it back to him after six months, and he'd be like, "Oh, what the fuck? Why is there a tattoo of Mike Riley doing it with a badger exactly. on my back? I'm never going to be able to go topless at the referee's Christmas party again." <laughs> wow, there's there's quite the image. Yes, David Ellery still there kicking back, yeah, in a mankini. <laughs> Um, I think, yeah, um, I'm, mm, 
David Allen. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note, I think we should probably um we should End probably yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's Monday. The, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the podcast. The rest we can okay. we can save for another day. All right, well thank you very much for listening. We'll have the Arscast back for you on Friday, seeing as the days of the week are back to normal now this time of the year. And uh, we'll be back on next week's Arscast Extra. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.